Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, in a couple of weeks, Dr. Garrett and I are going to be doing a sermon uh, where we are answering your questions on prayer. We're going to look at seven or eight different questions that you all have submitted on prayer. Thank you. And we're going to be talking about those. But this morning, uh, I changed my sermon coming into today because people have been asking me one question over and over and over again. And I feel like we needed to address it on Sunday morning, and it's going to be more than we can do in just two or three, four minutes. And the question has to do with disappointment with God. The fact that there were times that we prayed and prayed very intensely about something that was very dear to us, very deep in our heart. We prayed with faith. Uh, we sought God for a healing of a loved one, for someone who was near the point of death, for a financial crisis, for relationship difficulties. And we prayed our hearts out, and it seemed like nothing happened at all. And so where was God? What was he doing? How come God didn't show up? And so we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to talk about disappointment with God, especially when it comes to prayer, because we have probably all been there at one time or another. I remember several years ago, I was in a hospital room. There was a boy that was four years old that was being operated on because of a heart defect that he had. And we were in there, and we were all praying and, and, and petitioning God. And then the doctor came in, said the surgery went great, everything's fine, the, the, the problems have been corrected, the family was praising God, everybody was so happy. And then a nurse came into the room and said, Doctor, you need to come into the OR right now. And the doctor left. About 30 minutes later, he came back in, and he said, I'm sorry, your child has died. And the family was not only stunned, there was hurt, there was grief, there was anger, there was every emotion you could feel. And I remember later on, I was talking to the dad, I'd gone over to the house, and he said, I can never come back to church again. Because where was God? Why didn't God do something? Why did God let us feel so cruelly that everything was okay, and then suddenly our child was dead? If there is a God then he certainly doesn't love us, and I'm wondering if there's a God at all. And it's that kind of disappointment that we all deal with when it comes to God and the things of God at one time or another in our life. And we're going to talk about that this morning, and we're going to, to see what Scripture says. Over in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, we have an interesting passage of Scripture, and we're just going to use this as an illustration, and then we're going to be in Romans 8 for most of the day. But Acts 12 demonstrates what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So this was right after the crucifixion of Jesus. The church was growing rapidly, and the Roman authorities felt it was time they needed to, to stamp out this new movement. Verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison. He handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. Four times four is 16. You are very good on that. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. 
So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And that night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance to his cell. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up, and said, Get up! And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Now Peter goes to where the disciples are meeting, and the disciples are overjoyed. We can't believe it. This man had 16 soldiers guarding him in the innermost part of the prison. He had two chains on him, a soldier on each side of him, and soldiers outside of the cell. And he was able to get away because an angel appeared and worked a great miracle. And the church was rejoicing. Unbelievable. God's done it again. Can you see that man? Just like in the Old Testament, God showed up. He's worked a mighty miracle. Everybody in the church was rejoicing. Except I bet there was one person who wasn't rejoicing as much as other people. I bet there was at least one person who was wondering why things had happened the way they were and had a disappointment with God. And I think that one person was James's mother. You see, we kind of pass over the fact that in verse 2, James, one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends, James had been arrested just like Peter. Now in verse 5, we're told the church earnestly prayed for Peter. Who thinks the church earnestly prayed for James? I guarantee you the church prayed earnestly for James just as hard as they were praying for Peter. And yet James had been taken out and we're told put to death with the sword. And if you're James's mom, how does that make you feel? Yeah, I'm happy for Peter, but Lord, what about my child? Lord, why did my child go through this? It said he was put to death with the sword. That probably means he was beheaded. Can you imagine James's mom when she went to retrieve the body and saying, Lord, they cut my baby's head off. Why did you save Peter and let my son die? There had to be a disappointment that was with her when that happened. Lord, you've done a great miracle. Why didn't I see one? Why did this happen to me and my family? And it's that kind of disappointment that all of us have to deal with, we think, at one time or another. So we're going to look over into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to talk about the disappointment that we have in God in prayer and sometimes in general. And the first thing we see is this as we turn over to Romans chapter 8 is that our disappointment in God often stems from misunderstanding of God and of prayer. We, we misunderstand God, who God is, and what kind of world we live in. We misunderstand the world we live in. And we misunderstand what prayer is from the very beginning. So let's look over to Romans chapter 8. And the first question, the reason we misunderstand is that this is the assumption we have going into the matter. If God is sovereign, and sovereign simply means if he's in charge of everything and all-powerful. If God's in charge of everything and all-powerful and God is also loving, why didn't he help me out when I called to him in faith? When I came to God in faith and cried out to the bottom of my heart and I read over and over asking you will receive and I ask because this had to be God's will. It wasn't God's will that my relationship's breaking apart. It wasn't God's will that I get fired from my job. It wasn't God's will that my child got sick or that my parents passed away. If I prayed earnestly and it was had to be something God would have wanted, why didn't it happen? If he's in charge and if he's loving. 
Now, the first part of that that we, that we wrestle with if, he, if he's in charge. Because this is what you think, okay, if God is sovereign, if he's all-powerful, then why didn't he do something? I guarantee you James's mom had to thought that. You know, God, why didn't you show up and do something for my son and you did it for Peter? If you're really in charge. And so then we, we get this, this, uh, this idea in our heads, well, then maybe God's really not all-powerful. If you've ever read the book by uh, Harold Kushner, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Uh, he's a Jewish scholar, and he, he gets to the point of saying, I believe God's just not all-powerful. I believe God loves you and he cares, but he doesn't have all power. And so that's where Kushner comes down. And so that's one way we get here. Okay, well then, God just doesn't, he's not all-powerful. Or then God just doesn't exist. He's not sovereign. There isn't even a God. The second problem, though, we have is, okay, we, we question God's sovereignty. The other problem is we question God's love and care. Maybe for James's mom, she was thinking, did my son do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Did you just like Peter better than you did James? And she had to be asking those kinds of questions. And so you question God's love. Does God really love me? Does God really care for me? Is he really interested in what's going on in my life? And so then we answer that question with, no, God doesn't love me, or maybe God uh, doesn't exist, or maybe God just doesn't care. Maybe God likes other people. Maybe I messed up. And what a guilt trip to have when something traumatic happens in our life to then carry the guilt of maybe it was my fault it happened. And so we wrestle with God and we think, why is this happening? It shouldn't be if you're sovereign and you're loving. Over in Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, David writes these words. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt that way? This is a prayer of David. David's praying to God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from hearing the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out to you every day and every night, and you do not answer, and I find no rest. That's David, a man we're told was so close to God, he was a man after the heart of God. Do you think David ever had disappointment in God? Do you think David ever prayed and wondered, why aren't things working out the way that I can? Why have you forsaken me? These words are so filled with anguish that Jesus repeated them on the cross. And so that's how David feels. That's where we all come at one time or another. If God is sovereign, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-loving, why didn't he show up and why didn't he do anything? Now that's based on this worldview. And the worldview is this. This is a good world. People are basically good. And if I live a good life and I'm faithful to God and I do good things, then good things will happen back to me. It's just karma. And, uh, and I'll live a nice, good life and die at 150 uh, with my great-great-grandkids around me. And, uh, and, and then I'll immediately go to heaven and be in glory. And that's the view we have of life world's pretty good, basically good people. And if I'm a good person, good things are going to happen to me. That's how we view the world. That's how almost all of us view the world. And that's where we jump into Romans chapter 8. And I have to say this to you. I'm sorry. I know that's what you think and what you believe. It's not the story you're in. And it's not the world you live in. Let's look over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 
The first thing we see is this. We are fallen people living on a fallen planet, and we have an enemy that hates us and wants to destroy us. We are fallen people living on a fallen planet with an enemy that hates us and wants to destroy us. Look at chapter 8, chapter uh, 8 of the book of of Romans, down to verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, Paul is writing this, Paul the great apostle. What's he say? I consider that our present suffering, what is he taking for granted? That we're going to suffer. Now, what we believe is this, good world, if we're good people and do good things, we're not going to have any problems. God will take care of us. I'm being a good person. God's not going to let anything bad happen to me. Do you know the majority of Paul's problems started after he became a Christian, not before? After he became a Christian, everything seemed to fall apart in his life. Uh, Paul had every issue you could think of. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was hated, all because he was trying to love people in the name of Jesus. He had some physical problems that trailed him his entire life. Some thinks he had problems with his eyes. We're told in 2 Corinthians, three times he begged God to take away his physical suffering. And the only answer he got back from God was this. My grace is good enough for you. This is Paul writing this. I consider my present suffering cannot even be compared with the glory I'm going to one day see. So what he's saying is, okay, in this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be a better world to come when all of these things are wiped away. But this isn't the world we live in. So what kind of world do we live in? He then goes on and he tells us. And the first thing he says is this. We live on a fallen, dying, decaying planet. Look down to verse 20. Verse 20. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of whom who subjugated it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. The problems we have all stem from Genesis chapter 3. With Adam and Eve, sin came into the world And when sin came into the world, a curse was placed upon man, and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. This is no longer the Garden of Eden. We are now people that are living on a planet that is under a curse, and we are people that are under a curse. This planet that we are on is not Eden. It's not the way God intended for it to be. It is a beautiful planet. It is awesome. You see the very best of what God created, and it is awe-inspiring. You can stand at the beach and watch the waves roll in and be amazed and praise God for his glory. And then you can see a tsunami come in from those same waves and destroy everything in its path. Because it's not a perfect world anymore. And things like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and volcanoes and droughts, they come upon a planet that we are told is decaying because it is under a curse a curse that came from the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. And even creation is waiting for its redemption. And so we have things like, like diseases that sprang up, and we have, we have all kinds of problems that happen because we live on a fallen planet. But the second thing is we are fallen people, and we live amongst fallen people. Look at verse 23. 
Not only so, not only so speaking of the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoptions to sonship. So the second thing that we see is not only do we live on a fallen, decaying planet, we are fallen, decaying people. Yes, we are created in God's image. And when you look at people, you can see the very best that there is in the world. You can see unbelievably good things and charitable things and loving things and caring things that people do. But you can see also the worst because people sometimes choose the exact opposite. And you can see unspeakable evil and selfishness that people do that hurt and destroy and kill others and hurt and destroy themselves and other people. It's, it's just we are fallen people. But not only that, we, the vessel that we live in is, is a fallen, decaying vessel. This isn't the way God intended for it to be in Eden. And so things happen. We, we get sick. Our, our body gets old and decays. We will all die. We have parts that malfunction. We have things that go bad. My goodness, I, I'm probably going to, my health insurance rates are going to go up because they've taken about everything they can out of me. You know, they took, took my gallbladder. They took everything else, uh, They took my, my tonsils. You know, uh, they're, they're slowly taking all my organs out of my body because they malfunction. That's just the way it is. We are in a decaying vessel because of the fall that we are in. <laughs> so it's not a perfect planet. We are not perfect people. You can see the best and you can see the worst in things all around us. And then the last thing is you have a dedicated enemy that hates you and wants to destroy you. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can to devour. And that's the world we live in. It's not the safe, comfortable world that if you never have any problems and that everything's always going to go right. It's just not the story you came into. On the day you were born, you were born into a war zone, whether you realize it or not. You were born into a a, a story that had started a long time before you came on the scene. And you were born onto a planet that is suffering and dying among people who are fallen and sometimes do unbelievable evil and sometimes unbelievable good. And you have an enemy that's trying to destroy you every single step of the way. If that was the way we really understood the world, we would begin to operate a little bit differently. You know, C.S. Lewis said, when I first read the Bible, what amazes me was how much it said about evil because nobody ever talks about it at church. And boy, isn't that the truth of the matter? The Bible's filled with it. We don't talk about it very much. We want people to have the illusion that, oh, if you do good, you'll have no problems. Everything will be good. Everything will work out the way that you want it to. I want to read you a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11, found out of verse 32. What more can I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Listen to what they did. Who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fiery flames. They escaped the edge of the sword. In their weaknesses, they were made strong. They became powerful in battle. They routed their enemies. Mothers received their children back to life again. The dead were raised. Man, that's the world we like and believe in, right? Amen? And listen to the very next verse. But there were others too. They were tortured. They were not released. 
They did not gain anything except a better resurrection. Some faced jeers. They were flogged. They were put in chains. They were imprisoned. They were stoned to death. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They walked about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, hungry, cold, persecuted, mistreated. And the world wasn't worthy of them. Wow. See the paradox? Some have everything go right. God seemed to show up and do mighty things. But there were others who had their bodies sawed in two for their faith. And he said, but the world wasn't worthy of them. They found that this world was not their home. Bob Russell has said, when you look at this world in which you live in, you will never be closer to heaven than you are right now. And you will never be closer to hell than you are at this very moment. We live in that paradox of the world in which we live where we see the best and the worst of all that there is. And that brings us to the next thing that we see. Both good and bad people suffer from the curse. Both good and bad people suffer from the curse. The curse is universal. We've all inherited. We're all living on a decaying, fallen planet, which is sometimes awesome and sometimes horrific. We're all fallen people who sometimes do unbelievably good things and sometimes horrifically awful things, but we are all suffering from the curse. This is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 45. He said, "He uh, he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, let me, let me uh, very theologically tell you what that means. It doesn't matter if you're a good person or a bad person. If the sun's shining, the sun's going to shine on you. And if it's raining, you're going to get wet. If you walk outside and you get wet and you say, Lord, why am I getting wet? I'm a good person. I love you. I follow you. I believe in you. I tried to help people. When I walked outside and it was raining, it's not right that I got wet. Now, that may sound a little silly to you, but that's the view we have of God. We want God to do away with a curse that's only going to be done away with in heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross every time a problem comes in our life. But, Lord, I've gotten sick. I got this disease. It's, it's not something that should have happened. Lord, do something about it. But the fact of the matter is we are all suffering under the same curse and the sun's going to rise and shine on the good and the bad. Over in John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. What does Jesus take for granted in this verse? You will have trouble. That's what he takes for granted. So if you're thinking by being a good person, you're not going to have in trouble. You're not reading the Bible the way I'm reading it. In this world, you will have trouble. You are not immune from the problems of this world. They do not disappear simply because you were a Christian. You will not have your body stop decaying, and you will, and I'm never going to die now because I'm a Christian. I'm never going to get sick. Anybody I love, nothing bad will ever happen to them. You will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world. So let's talk about how that happens. The problem we have and what we come to is this. Life is not fair. But God is not the cause of your problems. He's your help when problems come. 
Life is not fair. God didn't cause your problems. He's the solution to your problems. Now, if you've ever had a child, one thing every kid says at some point in their life as they're growing up is this. It's not fair. Anybody ever had a kid say that? Okay. It's not fair. And what do parents immediately say? Well, life's not fair. That's what we say. You know, because we know it's true, don't we? It's not fair. Okay, well, life's not fair. We know it's true. But then even as an adult, when something hits, when something really bad happens, even though we know it's true intellectually, the emotions take over. And we say, Lord, it's not fair. It's not fair that happened to me. I've loved you. I've been faithful to you. Lord, it's not right. And so we begin to deal with the issues of fairness because intellectually we may understand, look, we've looked around and it's not a fair world. But when it happens to us, the emotions take over and we question God and we say, Lord, you're not being fair. Why are these things happening? And God could easily come back and say, why am I doing it? You're the one that did it. I created a perfect world. You're the one that sinned and rebelled. You're the one that's still sinning and rebelling today. You're the one that in the days of Noah, I looked at mankind and said, I'm sorry, I even made these people. I'm just going to wipe them out. It's not my fault the world's gone bad. You're the one making these choices. You're the one doing it. You're the one that's causing all of these problems and all of their decay. And then you're, you're blaming me for it. Life's not fair. God didn't cause our problems. He is the help when our problems come. That's where Romans 8 picks up again. So what does God do when life's not fair? Verses 26 and 27. First thing he does is this. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we're hurting so badly we don't even know what to pray. There will be times in your life that you're hurting so bad you don't even know what to pray or how to pray, and that's okay because God knows what's in your heart. Look down at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we are all weak and confused and hurting and troubled at times. We don't even know what we ought to pray sometimes, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So there may be times you come and you pray the wrong prayer. There may be times you come and you pray things that are selfish or you come and you don't even know what to pray and you're just hurting and crying and we're told that's okay. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You don't have to pray the exact right words. You don't have to say the right things all the time. You don't even have to understand everything that's going on in your situation because if you do, we're all up the creek because most times when we're really hurting, it's going to not make any sense. And what God says is when those times come, that's when the Spirit intercedes. And as we are groaning in our hurt and pain, the Spirit is feeling our insides and knowing who we are and how we feel. And the Spirit is then groaning back to God. And the point of that is God understands your hurts. He feels your hurts deeper than you could ever know. And he cares intensely. I read a book back in high school that disturbed me a little bit called The Sunflower by Eli Wiesel. Anybody uh, read that book? All right. How about enlarging your reading a little bit there? Anyway, in the book, uh, Wiesel is talking about a Nazi concentration camp. 
And there was a young boy, 15 years of age, whose mother was starving to death. And he stole a piece of bread off of a guard's uh, plate to give to his mother. He was caught, he was taken, and he was hanged in front of the whole group. And as he was hanging, it didn't snap his neck when he came down. And he was just laying there, slowly suffocating to death, rocking back and forth. And everyone was just horrified in the concentration camp. Until finally a man stepped forward and said, Where is God? Why is God letting this happen? And an old rabbi stumbled forward and said, Where is God? He's right there, hurting with that boy. You see, what we miss is that God didn't cause our pain, but he's going to walk through it with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is going to walk with us every single step of the way. The next thing that we see, and uh, perhaps... Uh, one of the most important, is not everything is God's will, but he can bring good through everything. Not everything is God's will, but he can bring good through anything. Now, I hear people say this all the time. Well, if that happened, it must be God's will. In some unspeakable tragedies, I've heard people say, well, that must be God's will. Now, if I was the person experiencing the tragedy and somebody said to me, well, it was God's will, I would think, well, then I don't have much use for God if that was his will. I'm here to tell you not everything that happens in this world is God's will. And probably the majority of things that happen in this world are not God's will. And he hurts just as much as we do when it happens. He's just as angry as we do when it happens. He suffers with the tragedy of a broken, fallen world just as we are suffering with it. But then we come to verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say everything is good. It says that because God is with you and cares, the last thing we've just seen, you will never go any, through anything in your life that God cannot bring something good out of. It doesn't mean it's all good, but God can bring something good from it, even from your tragedy. It doesn't mean that the tragedy will suddenly make sense. It means that maybe in your tragedy, you will find who really cared for you. You'll find that God's really there. You'll find an encouragement. You'll see something happen in your life that you can't believe is going on. God's going to provide comfort and and help and peace in those times. I did a funeral uh, a few years ago, and um, when the funeral was over, I I was in my car waiting to go to the graveside, And a lady I didn't know walked up and started knocking on the window of my car. I rode down the window. She looked at me and she said this. I'm having an affair on my husband. I live in eastern Kentucky. This is my uncle. He passed away. I came to the funeral. I'm going to go home right now and tell my husband that I'm sorry and that I've been cheating on him and do everything to put my marriage back together again. And then she turned around and walked and got in her car. And I said, I'm trying to remember my scripture from the graveside. What in the world are you talking about? And then this is what I realized. She had come to a funeral for her uncle. She was grieving. She was hurting. And then she heard somebody talking about God. And the whole God thing starts going on in her mind. 
And then she looked at me, and I was the representative of God, you know, as I was there. And so she comes to the representative of God and says, I'm going to confess all my sins to you, oh, great representative of God, and now I'm going to go bring something to do something about it. What happened with her uncle wasn't a good thing. But in that, God was able to take this woman and make her see her life in an entirely different way. God is not the cause of our problems but he can bring good even through our problems. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. God loves you, and nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. God loves you, and nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. We'll go to Romans 8, chapter 30, or verses 35 through 39. Verses 35 through 39. What's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Now look at this list. Shall troubles, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? Read that again. Does that sound like if I'm a Christian, I'm never going to have a problem and nothing bad's ever going to happen to me? Is that what that verse sounds like to you? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? That's not what it sounds like to me. That sounds like there is trouble in this world. And then listen to the next. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered sheep for the slaughter. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, things present or things in the future, any power, any height, any depth, nothing else in all of creation will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what you are going through in your life, there is one thing you can depend on. God loves you. God's going to be there. God's going to care for you. We want this to be a perfect world. We want no problems, no diseases, no death. We want God to intervene and do away with the curse every time the curse has an effect upon our life. And one day that's going to happen. It's going to happen in heaven. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to do away with the curse. In Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, In that day there'll be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. These are old things that'll pass away. In Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, it says that when Jesus comes and God establishes his throne, it says very clearly there will be no more curse. That we have been redeemed from the curse. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can ever satisfy, there's only one probable explanation. I wasn't made for this world. You see, we try to make this world the perfect place, and we should, but it's never going to be what you want it to be. The world that you're looking for is not this world. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. God has overcome the world. We're all disappointed sometimes when we think God didn't show up, but sometimes our disappointment comes not just in a misunderstanding of the world, but in a misunderstanding of prayer. Friday night, Dawn and I went to see Aladdin at the Kentucky Center for the Arts. Anybody see that? Oh, yeah, yeah. More of you than read The Sunflower. I don't know. But, but anyway, we went to see Aladdin, and there was a genie in Aladdin, and Aladdin rubbed the genie, and the genie came out, and it said, three wishes. What are your wishes? I'll give you whatever you want. That's what we think prayer is. I've rubbed the God lamp. God come out. Here are my three wishes. Do anything I want. 
God's not your personal genie. Prayer is not about God doing your bidding. Prayer is about you communicating and being in a relationship with God. And when this troubled world does hit you hard, he is there to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to get you through, to walk through the dark valley with you. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. He has overcome this world. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Lord, this world hits us hard sometimes and we just, we just groan. Help us to know that whenever that happens, that you are there and that you love us and that you will never leave us alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation and one of the things I would say is that if you're here today and you feel that disappointment with God, and we all do at times, and maybe you just want to come and, and uh, you want to pray. We have, have some ministers here that would love to pray with you and just talk to you about some of those things. Just give it over to God. Maybe what you're dealing with now is you're right in the midst of one of those dark valleys, and you want to come and pray at this altar and just give it to God and say, Lord, I, I'm hurting. I just need your help and encouragement and your strength. Walk with me through this. We've got people that love to pray with you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't ever really find what God wants for you into this world. And maybe if you're here today, what you've heard is God loves you, He cares for you, and He wants to help you through all of the troubles of this life. And you come and you say, I want to give my life to Him. So this altar is open, this invitation is going to take place, and you respond as God leads you. As we stand together, we give our hearts to God. Excited to introduce um, some new members to you all today. We've just completed our Start Here class where we had uh, 16 different people at some time walk through and learn more about the church. Some had just recently joined, and we're excited to introduce some new members. First, I want to just Bill Kofer. Uh, Bill's joining our church uh, today based upon his statement of faith. You can come up and stand with me, Bill. We're really blessed to have you as a member of our church, and uh, the deacons are going to line up and join you as well. And then I want to introduce to you uh, Nikki and Chad Rose. If you can come up and stand with me here. And they're joining based upon a transfer of membership as well as a statement of faith. And then uh, Jason and Lauren Ross, I think, are uh, here as well with their kids. They're joining uh, from transfer membership from Walnut Street Baptist Church. And so it's great to see God, Phil, uh, has called you to join our church, and we celebrate and echo that. We pray that this will be a life-giving place for you all and your family, and that you will sense the presence of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's doing good things in our church. And as we go out into this world today, whether you can identify with James's mom and feel that disappointment, or maybe today you feel like you're praying for Peter and for your miracle, May you go forth and pray in faith to see God do great things. As you go, welcome our new members as they come. Thank you all. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, 
MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.